Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. All right, welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I am your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of drbarrypierre.com, as well as the CEO of Pierre Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself for better health with the number one podcast of patient advocacy, affirmation, and education. This week, we bring you Dr. Lauren Purdy, who is a board-certified family physician, who is an Army vet, and more importantly, she's a physician entrepreneur. You guys know how I love my physician entrepreneurs. And we are going to be talking about telehealth. And if this is a new term that you didn't even have to think about before COVID, like you are in the same boat with a lot of people. She's actually been doing this for over a decade. And I'm just excited to kind of get her her insight on what telehealth was prior to COVID and what telehealth is now and why it is so important for the future. And I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Like always, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And make sure you tell not one friend, tell five friends, tell 10 friends uh, to listen to today's show. This episode, I think, is going to be a very pitiful one, especially for those in the Lunchland community um, who have asked this question of me a lot. And, you know, what better way than to kind of get someone who is right, like knee-deep in the field, like expert of their kind, um, to kind of talk about this aspect of telehealth, right? Like, I think it's a big buzzword. We hear about it a lot, but we don't really necessarily understand uh, what it actually means, and more importantly, the importance of it. So I am so excited. Thank you, Dr. Purdy, for uh, honestly just stopping by the Lynch Learning community, really to be able to kind of drop your expertise today. Thank you so much for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun. So for those who, if this is their first time catching my, my show or first time kind of catching you, um, can you give a little introduction on who Dr. Perry is and, you know, why uh, the topic that we're going to be discussing today you think is really extremely important? Absolutely. So I'm a board certified family medicine physician. I just finished, uh, I would say six months ago, I just finished um, 14 years in the army. So uh, I was at- <laughs> Thank you. Um, so as an army physician, did lots of different assignments there, inpatient, outpatient, urgent care, medical director, clinics, um, mostly outpatient though. And I started doing telehealth. I tell people I started doing telehealth before it was cool. Right. So several years, (laughs) several years before COVID, I started doing telehealth because in the army, it's really hard to sign up to go to somebody else's hospital and work more shifts because then your boss will say, well, why don't you just work more shifts here? You know, but in the army, you don't get paid more for more you work. So if you want to moonlight, um, it's, it's challenging to do an outside facility. So at the time, um, Telehealth seemed like a good way to be able to work a little more, but not at another hospital and still be available if I got called up or if I needed to report in for something. Um, Obviously, I can't do that if I'm working in another hospital. So um, and then carried that all the way through, just kept doing telehealth as a side gig um, all the way through. I'm an entrepreneur. I've started telehealth companies. I've advised telehealth companies. I've worked for telehealth companies. I would say several dozen um, companies at this point. I've either, oh, wow. you know, yeah, either worked the for. Fact, the fact that there's that, I didn't even, 
And again, mind you, remember lunchtime can be, I'm like a hospitalist. So I'm in the hospital. So like just my, my onus of what telehealth is, is going to be just as new to you guys as it is to me. So like, there's like, there's dozens of companies to you to work for. It's like, oh, that's interesting. It's fascinating. I, I, I never could have imagined that it would get this big. But if you think about how, just how the startup entrepreneurial climate is right now in America anyways, Imagine that being in telehealth. Everybody's got an idea. Everybody wants to launch it. And then when COVID hit, you're right. It totally changed the way I think that everybody thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so fast forward to today, I'm out of the military. I do, I would say a very small fraction, maybe 5% or 2% of my practice is conducted in person, but I, I do keep that okay. hands on. Okay. Yeah. And the vast majority of what I do now is providing direct patient care through telehealth or just um, doing telehealth executive type of work. Sorry to break your concentration. I know you're probably knee deep into today's episode, but do not forget, check out our Lunch and Learn community store, shop.drbarrypierre.com. Remember to use the code EMPOWER10. And make sure you are leaving us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Now, did you have, especially, you know, while you're in the Army, you're, you know, you're looking for extra work, you're looking for the moonlight shifts. Did you have any prior history or did anyone ever tell you like, hey, you know what, like this telehealth, like, you know, like doing it. Like, I think the concept of taking care of a patient without physically touching the patient, was that like a... Was that again? I, I may be kind of naive because from from a military standpoint, but like, was that like a new concept even at that time, or like, did you have like some mentors that said like, you know, this may be a route you want to go? Yeah. So I was the same way. So I, my boss at that moment in time, I was working as a hospitalist, and so like family med, like a med peds kind of service, and my boss, that's what he was doing on his you know, your seven, seven, your days off. That's what he was doing. And he, they just had a booth set up at one of the American Academy of, I think it was family physicians um, conventions or where they do a conference, they had a booth and they were recruiting people there. So um, my boss got their number. He started working for them and they were paying, I think like $23 a consult or something. And um, he was like, you should try it. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but they had like, training videos, like protocols, SOPs, policies, procedures, a lot of handholding and a lot of onboarding, like chart reviews and like overlording, you know, people looking over your shoulder going, what are you doing? And so um, even though it was really scary and I had never done it before, the medicine is actually not that different from what you do in a standard, um, you know, brick and mortar you know how they used to tell you back in medical school and residency, they would say like the history is 90%, right? What the patient tells you, if you listen, you'll be able to almost always figure out what's wrong with them or what they need just based off of what they say. That's true. And one of the things I've really been challenged to, I'll say work with or work around doing virtual health in a, in a safe way is like, how do you figure out how to treat the patient without those objective tools that maybe we sometimes lean on a little bit? And when do you really need to have them be seen in person? What I, what I love about that, especially because our, and, and you, you hit it right on the money, 
our our training has always been that one-on-one, like, you know, you know, like you got to see the patient, you got to touch the patient, you got to hear the S1, S2 um, heartbeat. And to think like, okay, I'm taking that, like that aspect out of just your training in and of itself. I'm taking it out, but I'm still saying you still got to take care of the patient. Um, definitely, you know, like I know that learning curve for me, I'd be like, all right, like, yeah, it's like, I, so I can't touch him. I can't like, because I think, I think it's it just, it's, I feel like it's so ingrained uh, as a student, even as a pre-med student that we were, we're supposed to touch the patient. And, and that's how we get it. But you hit it on the head, like, no, the, the history, like what they're actually saying is so much important that a lot of times, and I used to joke with my patients because they, they, they were always saying like, oh, you know, doctors only get 15 minutes, you know, to speak with me. And I'm like, yeah, but like, if you got a good doctor, after like a couple of minutes, like they kind of know the game plan, like, like the other time frame is just more, more administrative work. So, so I, I love the fact that, you know, you were able to kind of jump in, you had a mentor to say like, yeah, no, this is definitely uh, th- that route to go. Now, the question I want to know is how are the patients, like the patients who come in on, on that first telehealth visit, like what, what's their uh, experience? Like, you know, like now that they can't physically see you as well. Yeah. So one of the earlier things we kind of briefly touched on is like, how has it changed at, you know, through COVID? And I think the patients of, five or six years ago are different from the patients of today because five or six years ago, I don't know if you remember the age of the online pharmacy where you could go online and like buy really shady, unreputable, probably dangerous drugs from who knows where on the earth. So, and they were not doing the right thing. They, they weren't providing medical care at all. Right. But a lot of times I think people, would come to a telehealth visit with that in mind. And so we would hear a lot of questions early on, like, is this a scam? Are you legit? I I can't count the number of times I've been asked if I'm legit. (laughs) And I say, yes, I am very legit. I'm here in the US, I'm a real doctor. You can find me on all the medical board websites and the hospital, you know, website and everything. And, but now a days, and so it was almost like we had to work extra hard to earn their trust. You know, nowadays, I think people are they've kind of gotten used to over the last almost two years trying to find ways to actively avoid going for in-person care. (laughs) And so now they're just grateful. They're like, oh, my gosh, you mean I can get my singular refilled without going to the doctor? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And and there's a lot of things that. On, on this side of it, both the doctor and the patient are like, why were we ever doing this in person? Like, why were we forcing people to come to the office to send them a refill of their albuterol inhaler or their EpiPen or, you know, treat an uncomplicated UTI? What what were we doing? You, you know, I, I love that you said that because, you know, I, I've always, I've, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a tech nerd per se. And, and I've always said, like, medicine has been one of those fields that t- typically lags when it comes to the technological advancements and really using it for our benefit. Um, and so, so when you, when you see, we have this option, right? We have like, like I, like we're zooming right now, right? Like we have this option where, yeah, we, we don't necessarily have to be next to each other, but we can have a great conversation and get to the bottom of it. But for some reason we were still subjugating our patients to have to 
let's say, take off work, right, to go sit in a, a clinic that, you know, that may be running behind, um, you know, that, you know, with all these people and, you know, take off a half a day of work and all these, like, just like the preparation just to get into that room and maybe talk for like 10 minutes. Like, I, I felt like we were doing our our patients such a disservice. I, I, again, I don't I don't want to I don't want the, the brick and mortar folks to shoot me. Right. Like, I feel like we were doing such a disservice, forcing them uh, to do that. Right. Like, especially when we, we could have easily like, again, Clipped on the screen, says, "All right, this is the job, sir. I'm sending your medication, and then call it a day." So I, I, I love that. Again, I, I hate that a pandemic had to force us uh, to get to that point, but I do, I do admire, uh, you know, the, your your point that like we were making patients do a lot of different things, um, you know, for the sake of that's how we used to do it beforehand. Absolutely, and even things like you know, taking kids out of school. I mean, I, I cannot imagine. And then also being able to, to provide people with alternative options, right? So what if you have somebody who can't come see you between eight and five, what are their options? Flooding the urgent cares, like spending a lot of money on co-pays that they may or may not be able to afford. Mm. Heaven forbid going to the emergency department inappropriately for a non-emergency, but there's nowhere else to go. And I think one of the biggest areas that I've seen it, um, I would say benefit the population is, is with mental health. So one of the jobs I work for, because I have, so I have 40, I have 49 state licenses. So I have patients. <laughs> is, is that just because the, the, the onus of doing telehealth, you have to be able to talk to a yes. patient. Okay. All right. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Before it was cool. So that you got to have, you know, now there's some waivers in place where there's some reciprocity with certain states. Like you can practice without having a license there. It may not last forever, but that's the way it is now. But so my patients are all across the country. And one of the jobs that I, I contract positions I used to have was working for a company that did depression and anxiety treatment. And in that instance, you know, a video, a face-to-face was great, but what kind of physical exam are you going to do somebody who has major depressive disorder and you've asked them all the questions to screen out things like thyroid disease or anemia, what are you going to do? Right. And so those patients were some of the most thankful, grateful. I mean, you're talking about folks that would have to drive two to three hours and wait six months just to get in, to get some Zoloft prescribed (laughs) and they could sign up for a telehealth visit and get a 30 to 45 minute video session with me within a week. Unbelievable. It was great. And with, with constant text back and forth, they could reach out to me anytime we could make dosage adjustments on demand. I feel like it was a much better, it is, it is a much better service if we do it right for the patients and they're much happier. And and you kind of, you kind of mentioned this, this aspect of doing it right and kind of getting the support when we we kind of we kind of alluded to the pandemic the pandemic and what the pandemic has done for telehealth what has been the support especially from in you know you know we talk about it a lot here in the Western community like these insurance companies just you know the 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 governments of the world like what has been like their level of influence on telehealth uh, prior, like prior to when it was cool to do telehealth uh, versus now. That, so you really, that's the can of worms right there. 
that you've hit 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 on. And the thing about it is that the insurance companies and the government, they still don't get it. Mm. They still don't get it. And it's getting better, okay? Reimbursement, um, what's covered, what's not, how to get it paid for, what the reimbursement looks like. It's getting better. Okay, and I wouldn't expect insurance companies and governments to move as fast as telehealth tech startup industry. So I, I, I have nothing but love, but they do kind of need to pick up the pace a little bit because as of right now and for the last several years, telemedicine, unless you are fortunate enough to have a large company that's on your insurance plan already, and so it's already covered and you know it's covered, Almost everything else, by and large, is going to be cash pay, um, mm-hmm. which right. is good because we, then we, as the physicians, are not beholden to what the insurance company says a patient can or can't have. You know, we don't have to go through the hoops and you know prior authorizations and all that kind of stuff just to get them taken care of. But on the other that's side, that's like a that's like a dirty word in our field. The prior, the prior off, like it's it's. It, it's I don't I think if patients really knew how much uh you know administrative uh blockings are in our way when we're trying to take care of our patients like that I, I, I think they would scream. Right. Like with you know entities trying to practice medicine that are maybe not doctors. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Companies, right. So that's a whole nother can of worms, I'm sure. Yeah. But yes. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, access to care, access to care. I think telemedicine at its very root solves the problem of access to care. If you look at it strictly from the patient side, we could talk all day about how it solves problems for doctors, but which it does solve problems for doctors. But at the end of the day, the larger issue and like the social, um, the social cause, right, is access to care and getting people healthcare and getting people taken care of. And so now that we've got technology, now that we've got programs and platforms and HIPAA protected technology, because we want to make sure it's all done safely, and we've got pharmacies that can ship, and we've got electronic prescribing that can do it, we've got doctors that are licensed, we, we need the insurance companies to get on board and start paying for this stuff because patients are willing to pay for it. They don't think a thought about going to an online urgent care and dropping 70 bucks in cash for pink eye or poison ivy or an asthma refill or an eczema flare up, or it is, or sometimes even just to get advice to have somebody talk to them on the phone and say, you may have appendicitis. I think you should go to the emergency department. They will easily pay 60, 70, $80 in cash just to hear that. And I think there's, there's no reason why if we've got like us board certified licensed, credentialed physicians doing this work and patients are paying for it. Why can't we get more of that paid for by insurance? Uh, You're touching on so many points. And and it's so, and and again, it's almost like, especially when you're on this side, you're like, 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 don't y'all see like how much money like y'all would save, right? If you just, you know, did these certain things. And I think a lot of people, you really hit on the head. A lot of people really take for granted their the ability to even go see a, a doctor or have a doctor right to talk to 
Um, I'm, I'm in South Florida, right? So you throw a rock, you're going you're gonna to hit some doctor's office, right? But there's a lot of different areas, even in South Florida, that there might not be that pediatrician for another 10, 20 miles, right? Which, again, if you don't have a car, that's a couple bus rides. That's Again, that's a whole day avenue to see a person for 10 minutes. And I think that's really where our focus and our discussion always has to be because like when it's us, they don't, they don't, I, I say all the time, the general public and even insurance companies, like they don't necessarily see us, the physicians as like people of need and who they should feel sorry for. So like when we always like center the patient and say like, no, like this patient like doesn't have to go 10, 15 miles to the nearest physician right? To get expert advice, they can be right in the comfort of their own home, get expert advice, and then have medication or treatment like directed to them. Like, I think when we, when we do that, like, I think that's why, and that's why telehealth always made so much sense to me. Cause I like, I couldn't understand like why we wouldn't do it. And like, why, why don't we do it? Like, I feel like, like, what am I missing that, that doesn't make this like 100% adoptable everywhere? Absolutely. And you know what? At that time, it was probably technology and platforms and businesses and companies. But now it's we need the the laws to get into gear and we need the insurance companies to get on board so that everybody can be taken for taken care of. Right. And that telehealth isn't just a person who can afford to pay cash service. What, what was what was the and that's I mean, that's actually a good point. What was the technology like when you first started doing telehealth? In, in terms of just, you know, how are you talking? Like, what was that uh, technology like in, in the beginning? It was so bad. So imagine, um, I mean, it was so bad. So there, imagine, you know, five or six years ago, what internet was like in places like rural Montana or the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. And at that time, so the laws has have evolved a lot and they've evolved in the way that they define the creation of a doctor-patient relationship. Five years ago, six years ago, several states law was that in order for me to have a relationship with a patient, we needed to be on a video for X number of minutes. Oh. Yeah. And it's, if you think about it, if you think about it, that's not the way the rest of society works really, you know? And so, um, but if you could envision trying to get on a video. So you log into your screen, you click on the patient, then the video app pops up as a picture in a picture with a third party, you know, not a big name like Zoom or any of the other big, you know, no Microsoft Teams, like that wasn't it. A little pop-up video. And then it's just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody in rural Oklahoma or middle of nowhere, desert, Texas, you know, to actually plug in to their technology. And then the communication is impossible, but you can't actually pick up the phone and call them because the state law at that time would not consider that to be a valid doctor-patient encounter. So we either had to muscle through it or disconnect the entire encounter, refund their money and say, go see your doctor because your internet's not good enough to have a video call with me. That happened a lot. Wow. Uh, and and you, you kind of mentioned some of the names uh, like Zoom and Teams and uh, like, are those like, are those big players now? Like in just the, the space 
of, of telehealth? Are those big players there? Yeah. So I think what a lot of, because there have always been video conferencing services available, but what they didn't have was the HIPAA, the HIPAA compliant. Um, that's a, that's a, like, that's, that's like a dirty word, um, you know, for, for our healthcare providers. Yes. And I, and I've always said, I think that word alone forced a lot of our helper care providers not to get on social media, not to get on, you know, you know, platforms, just different platforms and kind of like kept them in that brick and mortar place because of the fear that they may be having a HIPAA violation. Right. And I think that's a valid fear. And I don't know if you were keeping up with the uh, regulations as they loosened up during COVID, but for a little while, I believe it was the Department of Health and Human Services or one of those regulatory bodies actually put out a statement that I'm going to say relaxed the HIPAA um, requirements. And what it said is as long as a physician is acting in good faith, which means they're trying to do the right thing with the tools that they have access to, they're not going to go start throwing people in jail for using, you know, a, a perfectly good, you know, Skype or something. But Nowadays, I think the companies, the video chat companies are learning that there are different settings that can toggle on or you can allow people to toggle on to make it HIPAA compliant. Mm -hmm. So now they are like the password protection, the waiting room, the fact that um, like the meetings are only good for one meeting and not everybody gets the same like meeting ID. So you can actually use things like Zoom and Teams now for patient encounters, as long as you know what the privacy settings are. Like it's really important to turn on the waiting room so patients don't come in on top of each other. You know, it's not like a free for all in there, but but you can now, but you couldn't several years ago. No, no you know, you know, because yeah, I've been Zoom, I've been using Zoom for a while, and uh, you said it, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, I didn't even really think about it, but yeah, a lot of the newer functions. That I was like, oh, okay, all right, like yeah, you like it, it, and now it makes sense that why they would do it because you you wouldn't like you're in the middle of one patient case and then someone's like, hey, like I'm here for my 10, 10.50 uh, appointment, like wow, okay, that makes sense. So the this is the part that I love, right? Because and especially especially here in Lunchland community, I, I talk about this all the time. Um, my physicians and my physician colleagues who decide, you know what, I don't want to only just take care of the patient. Not to say that just that, but I don't want to only take care of patient, but like I have like a, an entrepreneurial spirit about me, like that I have to like itch as well, like while I'm taking care of the patient. So what was that life like when you were like, you know what, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a great physician, uh, but like I have this side over here that I also want uh, to explore like that entrepreneurial side, right? Like let's, I want, I want to talk a little bit about that. Talk about your company as well too. Sure. Well, if you've ever heard the saying that 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 people throw around sometimes, which is like, don't don't propose a problem unless you're ready to propose a solution. Right. Mm -hmm. I, love so, it. I love that. <laughs> about something unless you can do it better, I think, is you know the thing they say. And so throughout the years working for dozens, I have worked for dozens of telehealth companies as a 1099 contractor. You get the opportunity to see you know, all the different systems, all the different processes. And the, my mind was blown wide open to all of the ways we could be doing things. 
And so as a entrepreneur, so my, you know, my dad was a business guy. And so I think it's a little bit in my genes. I would find myself saying, why are we doing it like that? Why are we still doing it like that? Do you realize company, like to the companies, you're wasting your resources. You have waste within your system, clicks, scrolls, time, malfunctioning technology, inefficient, you know, systems. Why don't we fix this? And um, I would say sometimes people are open to feedback and sometimes they're not, which is fine. They're allowed to not be open to feedback. But after so many instances, and I'll say this, you said, you know, a lot of people don't think about doctors as people that they should feel sorry for, which was hysterical. The way that I have phrased that is in the telemedicine startup world, physicians are not often viewed as an important stakeholder. Wow. Wow. Okay. Interesting. But here's why that's important. Because if you decided that you were going to start your own health tech startup online tomorrow, you have two sets of clients, right? You have patients who are going to be end users, but doctors are also an end user because they're plugging into your system. They're taking care of your patients and they have a choice. It's like airlines, right? They have a choice of what telemedicine company they want to work for. And people who have a lot of licenses really have a choice of what company they want to work for. So how do you retain them? Right. And so I, as if, as an internal stakeholder in several telehealth companies, I got to experience firsthand kind of how painful it can be to work for a company where those internal stakeholders are not valued as much as the external stakeholders or the patient. And so it really didn't take long. I think I have just enough entrepreneurial background, kind of working in these systems, seeing where the problems are, watching the problems not be attended to before I said, I, you know, I, we really can do better than this. I love it. I love it. So, so when you, when you first started out and said like, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of branch out on my own. Um, did, did you have to, did you, did you have to get other physician colleagues? Was it more business colleagues? Like what was that like transition like for you? It was totally an accident. It was totally an accident because so, and this is, if I, if I may share some unsolicited advice, I would recommend that people get experience first before they go try to start something. Um, And (laughs) the reason why is because being a doctor in virtual health is not the same as being a doctor in brick and mortar. It is very much similar. The practice of medicine never changes. You know, standard of care never changes. But what it's like to be a physician in virtual health is very different. And I think if you try to make it the same, or if you try to want it to be the same as running a robust full-time brick and mortar clinic, you will set yourself up for disappointment because it is not the same. And so I always recommend if anybody has a brilliant idea and they want to go start the next big thing, I say, go work for somebody for a little bit so that you can see what it's like. Because one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they charge in there, you know, blow the doors open and start their own thing but really have no idea what they're doing because there's no context of what the industry is like. And the good idea fairy, if you've ever heard of the good idea fairy, 
doesn't always have great ideas, right? And so <laughs> get some experience first to make sure that the problems that you think are problems are really problems and that the, the solution that you think people are going to want is actually a solution that people really want. Once you have some experience. I, I love that. I love that. That is, you know, again, especially I got some entrepreneurs who follow me too. So I, those, those are some true words for sure. Make sure your problem is a problem. Make sure your solution is a solution. And the only way to find out is to get in there and live it. And it also gives you street cred too, because a lot of entrepreneurs, when they just kind of jump in there and they're trying to raise money or they want to get, you know, investment or they're trying to establish some credibility for themselves. I'm a doctor in the real world is not necessarily as credible as I've had 300,000 telehealth patients for 25 different companies. Not that everybody needs to do that, but it helps resume a little bit because the brick and mortar doesn't necessarily, you know, translate on the resume. So anyways, to answer your actual question, I, uh, I started, you know, consulting, because occasionally you would find these really early stage startups, which this will blow your mind. A lot of telemedicine startup companies have no physicians anywhere on their team at all. It'll be like a business person and a tech person. (laughs) Who just have, they have an idea and they're like, all right, this is what I want. And then just, uh, wow. Okay. No doctors. And so stumbled across a couple of those people um, through a couple of like professional relationships that I have, they landed on my plate because they had no doctors at all. And they just were looking for somebody to talk to, to get consultantship, basically. Like, what do we do? How do we do this? What works? And so, you know, as an accidental consultant, um, cause I don't have a formal consulting business or anything like that, but just helping people out, giving advice, helping them move their companies forward with actual medical foundation, which they may or may not have had. Then from there, it was kind of a natural extension to, okay, I've done this on the, on the working end, on the widget making end. I've done this helping other companies get up off the ground. Maybe I'll try it. You know, let's see what happens. I love it. What are the names of uh, the companies that you found? Sure. So I've co-founded, I'll say, you know, two companies. Um, in telehealth, I have a couple of brick and mortars. Ooh, in I love it. I love. It. <laughs> I'm actually I sitting. I, get, I I just love my, especially because we, we we've had discussions here about burnout um, uh, in in our physician community, and a lot of times when I'm talking to my colleagues, um, and it, the stages doesn't matter. Like before, I used to think burnout was you know, a physician who's been in practice 15, 20 years, and they're like they're at the end. But like I'm talking to residents who are experiencing burnout. I'm talking to medical students who are experiencing burnout. I'm talking to newly fresh attendings five years out who are who are talking and experiencing that level of burnout. And a lot of the underpinning aspect of it is the the choice or the the freedom of choice that they thought they had, they don't have. And and they don't have any other way to explore it because they're like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm an employee here, I'm gonna work here, and I, this is just kind of my life. And what I've seen with a lot of my physician entrepreneurs is that they've given themselves the opportunity to have an, another choice. And they're not, they don't have to go in this direction here. They don't have to do this one thing over here because they also have opportunities over here to do something. Nailed it. You got it right there. If you want to see what it feels like to truly have no choice, 
go join the military. Anything beyond that, you have a choice. There is a choice. And as long as you don't work for the federal government, you have a choice. And especially as a physician, there's always a choice, but you have to be brave enough and you have to be willing to take that risk, whatever it is, right? Failure, loss of income, um, just not being successful. What are other people going to think? You have to be willing to take that risk, but you have a choice. You can get burned out after one shift if you're not in the right kind of job. And if that's not where your, you know, where your heart knows that it needs to be from a professional standpoint, you could be burned out after half a day, you know? Oh, that's so true. So true. Oh, I love it. I love it. So what, so what's next, right? So obviously, obviously telehealth, at least at our point, it isn't fully kind of where you want it to be, but where, where do you see telehealth in the next five to 10 years? Like, where do you see it? Where do you see it going? I hope, I hope that five, 10, 20 years from now, telehealth is like the bank. Nobody hardly ever thinks about going to the bank first, right? They go online, they log into their app, they can apply for bank accounts online, they can apply for checking accounts online, you can get checks online, you can do everything to a point online. And there does come a point in time when you have to go into the bank, but it's no longer the norm. I see telehealth being just like that. When there's a healthcare need, the first thought that people have is, can I do that online? Or, oh, I need to log into my app. Or, oh, let me you know, do XYZ service through whatever telehealth thing that I'm using. I envision a world in which the electronic medical record is like your credit card. It is your property. You are the owner of it. It stays with you forever and you choose who and when and where to share it with. Why are hospitals the owners of people's electronic medical records? Mm. That's odd, doesn't it? Can you imagine if you had in your Apple wallet or some other kind of, you know, electronic storage thing, you could say, oh, here's my medical record. I need to go to an urgent care. I need to go to a hospital. Beep, boop. And I transmit my electronic medical record over to the hospital. Everything's there drugs, dosages, all that kind of stuff. I would love to see us get to that point, putting the power, putting a, a lot of the power and control back into the patient's hands and giving them options that I think they need, but they don't have right now. Um, but what that, what that then equates to is more opportunities for physicians. Can you imagine not really having to worry about whether your patient was a poor historian or not? Yep. <laughs> Or something it's, like that. It's, it's a, what, I, what I love is obviously I'm you know on the side. Uh, I do a little crypto, right? So like everything that you're saying, I'm like, oh yeah, like that. But like that screams like kind of blockchain type technology and everything else. We don't have to go in that like that deep, but like it's like I just that aspect of you know ownership and you know being able to say in black and white like, oh no, this is this is all my medical records for the past 20, 30 years, boom. And then just to have it there and be able to access it there, which of course lets the doctor be able to make much more informed decisions on the level of care. And at the end, give you the best outcome. Like everything screams like, hallelujah, please. Like, let's, 
Let's let's get there. Like I love that. I'm excited. I think it's going to happen. I really do because everything else in our lives is that way. Everything is that way. Healthcare is going to get there. We just have you know got to get the technology. We got to get everybody to buy off on it. We got to get the hospitals to let go. You know, or the health systems, or the EMRs, the epics. You know, all those owners of electronic medical records, they got to let like, it go. I mean, so many, so many different ones, like holding medical records hostage, and Athena Health here, and uh, you know, Epic's there, like point click, like all of these just little different segments. Um, when it really should all be kind of, kind of one, because I, I would assume it's got to be difficult, especially as telehealth, not having all of that information available to you when you're having to make your decision, but you still have to make the best decision, uh, you know, for your patient. So uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I am 100% here for all that. Again, I, I said before, I feel like medicine always, it, like, we'll see all of these other different industries, like adopt technology and use it correctly, much more quicker than I, like, I just kind of have to wait, like, all right, let me wait till medicine, like comes around to like what everyone else is doing. <laughs> it's no different than working in a hospital. Like, how many times have you been like seeing a patient and they're in for chest pain and you're like, oh, when was your last heart cath? And they're like, oh, it was uh, it was six months ago. What did it say? Oh, I'm not sure. And then it takes two weeks past the length of their stay for you to get that cath report back from whoever it was that did it. But they're already out of the hospital and that's useless information to you. You know, you could have even for brick and mortar like that would be totally game changing to be like, here, boop, boop. There it is. You've got it. I love it. Ah, oh, amazing. So, Dr. Purdy, where where can where can people learn a little bit more about you again? Um, first of all, I've been like I'm. I've I've been. We kind of talked before. I, I I think I'm been more hyped to have this type of discussion on just kind of telehealth, where it's going, where it was at before, and all of the changes. Uh, as much as like my lunch and learn community members, because I like I know like again, and I'm 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 inpatient. Uh, I work in a hospitalist, I do rehab, but like, I know, like if, if for us to incorporate telehealth and make it like this, like, I, I love that analogy of the bank, right? Like just make it like the standard, like, all right, let me go, let me go here. Uh, I, I think it's, it's needed. Not even like we wish upon it. Like we definitely need it if we're going to take our, our, our care uh, to another level. So where can people find you? Um, information about your companies, everything else, like give your, give your details before we get you out of here. Sure. So I, you know, I'm all over the internet. I'm a virtual, virtual health doctor. So I'm all over the internet. You can find me. Um, I've been quoted in several articles about women's health recently. So if you Google my name, Laura Purdy, uh, MD, you'll find me all over the place. Um, but I'm also on LinkedIn, Laura Purdy. I, you can come to say so one of the companies that I own is called MD Integrations, which is um, really fun. So if there's any physicians out there that are looking to get into telehealth a little bit, um, that might be a good way to get your feet wet. So feel free to reach out to us that way, but I'm, I'm all over the place. So come find me. You can email me. Um, you can, you can, uh, LinkedIn message me. You can Facebook me. I love to talk. I love to meet people and connect and help folks get what they are looking for out of their careers from a professional standpoint, especially when it involves changing and growing and evolving. Um, I'd love to chat. Perfect. And again, remember, let's community members, 
Um, I'll, all her information will be in the description as well, too. So you don't have to be like, stop driving, like write it down, make sure all of her information, email, LinkedIn, all that great information will be connected there uh, for you guys in the description. Again, Dr. Perry, thank you for, you know, again, blessing our lunch learning community, educating us as always, and just taking the time out, um, you know, to, to, to really, really, really get us trying to think about the future. Cause again, you started dropping some bombs. I'm like, Oh, I know they're not even ready. Like for like that aspect. So I appreciate everything that you do and uh, appreciate uh, all of your efforts, really trying to move our field of medicine forward. Uh, because uh, you know, even me, I feel like we're slacking behind Thank you so much for having me. This was a total blast. I, I had a great time. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for getting to the end of the episode. I am yours truly, Dr. Barry Pierre, favorite board certified internist. Like always, remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five star review, and more importantly, share this to at least two of the five of your friends and family members that you know that could be empowered with the words that you heard today. Again, so appreciative of all you guys' support. See you guys next week.